Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Senator Elizabeth Warren says it's, quote, about damn time, end quote, after Wells Fargo CEO Tim Sloan steps down. What does that mean for the big bank? And what does it mean for populists moving forward? Big day on the trade front. An exclusive comment from Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor, who told me at the Export-Import Bank annual conference in Washington, D.C., that some tariffs might come off even if certain tariffs stay on as an enforcement mechanism for those U.S.-China trade talks. All of that plus more fallout from the Mueller investigation. We have an all-star panel Joining us, Sarah McGregor, Bloomberg News Economic Policy Team Leader, and Adam Hodge, a vice president at SKD Knickerbocker and former DNC communications director. But before we get into the latest politics and policy, opening day, unless you're Tim Sloan, in which case it's your last day on the job for the Wells Fargo CEO and Senator Elizabeth Warren, the 2020 presidential candidate, Democrat from Massachusetts, saying, quote, It's about damn time. Those headlines crossing the Bloomberg terminal uh, just within the last hour and a half that Tim Sloan, uh, the former now CEO of Wells Fargo, after those contentious hearings on Capitol Hill before the House Financial Services Committee the other week, ultimately deciding to step down. We're going to have much more on that coming up later on in the program. But here to help us through trade talks, there were a ton of new trade developments today. Adam Hodge, he is a friend of the program, a vice president at SKD Knickerbocker, a communications shop here in Washington, D.C. He's a former DNC communications director for the Democratic National Committee and a senior Treasury Department official during the Obama administration. And my good friend and colleague, Sarah McGregor, Bloomberg News Economic Policy team leader. Sarah, so I was actually hanging out all day at the Export-Import Bank annual conference at the Omni across town here in Washington, D.C., and it was pretty striking because House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters agreed, you didn't hear me wrong, agreed with Peter Navarro. Okay, so they were all keynote speakers, and Larry Kudlow was there, and they said that they want to see the Export-Import Bank reauthorized. This was like everybody's, well, the Tea Party's favorite political pinata for years. And now the administration, the Trump administration, says that they're going to get in line with it. Its nickname is the Bank of Boeing, which, keyword, 
I think really has a lot to do with these U.S.-China trade talks. And I caught up with Larry Kudlow uh, after he keynoted there, and I asked him about how trade talks are going with China because, remember, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin and U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer are over in China as we speak negotiating this deal. I said, Larry, did you talk to Secretary Mnuchin? Have you talked to Representative Lighthizer? He said, Kevin, they just finished dinner. The time zone is so crazy. They're asleep. I'm not going to wake them up. But that he does anticipate that these talks will be trending in the right direction. And then, you know, you know this, Sarah. I mean, there's so much pressure. When are President Trump and President Xi Jinping of China going to meet? Is it going to be in early May? Is it going to be down at Mar-a-Lago? I asked him about it. Here's what Larry Kudlow told me. Take a listen. This is not a time-driven. This is a policy enforcement-driven deal. So things have to be done just right. And as President has said, it has to be a great deal. So no timetable, Sarah McGregor, in terms of the U.S.-China trade talks. The mixed signals that we're getting from the Trump administration on whether there's going to be a deal or not is just super confusing right now. You know, we hear over and over progress is being made. They're they're getting closer to some sort of agreement. We've even heard the Trump administration talk about perhaps having like a late March, which is obviously not going to happen now, or a late April <laughs> summit <is> boat. <laughs> with um, President Xi Jinping to finalize this deal, to sign this deal. But where is the deal? Where is the agreement? You know, the, the Trump administration keeps talking about the fact that they need reforms on intellectual property practices. They need China to agree, which Larry Kudlow said today, to the fact in the agreement that the U.S. can impose tariffs on China if they break the rules of this trade deal. But China needs to agree not to impose counter tariffs on the U.S. in that case. I mean, these are hard issues for China to agree to. It's hard to imagine that they will. And for the U.S. to keep saying we're making progress and we're almost there with a deal seems disingenuous at this point. So I was really struck by this. I'm glad you brought this up because the big thing from the or one of the big uh, uh, contentious areas from the business community standpoint are tariffs. The business community and business Republicans and even Democrats, they don't like tariffs. And so President Trump has said he's tariff man that he's going to have some of these tariffs left in place as a point of leverage in terms of the negotiations. And Adam Hodge, a former uh, Treasury Department official in the comm shop during the Obama administration, are tariffs a good enforcement mechanism if you're trying to see if the Chinese are going to follow through on a, on a particular uh, agreement in terms of U.S.-China uh, trade agreements? But I think it's, it's proven to be a, a pretty uh, poor uh, tools so far. I don't think you've seen much action from from China, and they don't really have much, uh, you know, huge incentive to negotiate um, fully with with the administration. And it's also bad politics. Let's let's be clear. This uh, was really tough um, for a lot of Republican candidates who were on the ballot in 2018. And you can be sure that Democrats running for president and Democrats running again in in 2020 are going to hit hard on the tariffs as it's just a bad economic and 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 political. Uh, approach for for the 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 uh, country. Um, it's good that they're at the table. It's good that they're having uh, a real conversation. It is a real question though about whether they're going to actually come up with a deal that actually moves the, the needle. So I was struck by what Larry Kudlow had to say in terms of tariffs as a whole, because President Trump the other week did say that potentially those tariffs would be an enforcement mechanism uh, to uh, in place for the U.S.-China trade deal. But Larry Kudlow, the chairman of the National Economic Council uh, at the White House, had this to say about whether some tariffs might be off the table. Here he is. 
we have to see what the track record is, and we're not going to give up our leverage. However, just to clarify, that doesn't necessarily mean all the tariffs will be kept in place. Some of the tariffs will be kept there. So, Sarah, to your point of confusion, no one knows which tariffs, but it really kind of, if you're a lobbyist in town on K Street, I mean, it kind of is, is uh, open season in terms, of, in terms of lobbying lawmakers to try to get some of these tariffs or exemptions from tariffs off of the table. Absolutely, and I, I think it's interesting what you brought up, the fact that the business community, a lot of politicians lobbied hard against these tariffs to begin with to be, to be put in place. But now, especially in the case of China, now that they're in place, I think there's a recognition that it really has brought them to the table, whether it was right or wrong, whether you know some people do think they need to be removed. And so you, you hear a little bit of quietness now from people about the actual tariffs because I think they do feel like, okay, wait a second – they are at the table. Let's see what we get now out of these talks. And so, um, you know, I, I think, though, overall, there is definitely a push to have these removed as part of a trade deal. All right. Coming up, we talk much more on the congressional front, more fallout for the Mueller investigation uh, following our exclusive interview with Donald Trump Jr. yesterday. We talk about, well, will Democrats have any leverage in getting the Mueller report released and also coming up my conversation with House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters, a Democrat from California. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me as well as my colleagues on Radio.com and iHeartRadio. Adam Hodge stays, Sarah McGregor stays, and I stay. I'm Kevin Cirilli. My guests are... I'm, I'm Kevin Cirilli, and it's opening day. Hope everybody gets to watch some baseball. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. President Trump saying this afternoon that he is going to fund the Special Olympics. He is going to fund the Special Olympics. That was uh, just brought out within the last couple of hours. Meanwhile... The Democratic-controlled House of Representatives passing a piece of legislation that would oppose the president's restrictions on transgender Americans serving in the U.S. military. That policy from President Trump set to go into effect on April 12th. Uh, Congressman Joe Kennedy, a Democrat from Massachusetts, I interviewed him earlier today on Bloomberg Television. You can log on to Bloomberg TV com or check it out on the Bloomberg Terminal to see that interview. An interesting fact, uh, for transgender Americans, the number one employer is actually the U.S. military. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. My guests with me are Adam Hodge. He is a vice president at SKD Knickerbocker and former DNC Communications Director. He also worked at the Obama Administration's Treasury Department. Sarah McGregor is Bloomberg News economic policy team leader. The fallout, Sarah, from the Mueller investigation, now day three, I guess, removed. But the pressure keeps mounting on Democrats from Democrats to get this Mueller investigation somehow released to the public. But I, I, I'm hard pressed to find really what tools they can utilize to, to get it released. Yeah, I mean, I think there is some some pressure, and I think even, you know, American citizens want to know right now what was actually in that report, what were the underlying documents, the interviews, some of the stuff that was dug up that, you know, basically cleared the names of a lot of people who we've heard for, for months now might be guilty of some pretty 
pretty big deal. So, um, you know, I guess there can be hearings and, and there can be public pressure brought to bear on this, but it'll be interesting to see if they get released and obviously if they do what's, uh, what's going on in there. Yeah, I think uh, one of the interesting things about this, a lot of the, the media speculation around the first part of the report, um, as, as if the whole report was released, we actually got four pages. It was four pages of Barr's report on the Mueller report. So we really don't know what's in it. You know, the members of Congress, uh, Adam Schiff on, had a big hearing today where he tried to tick through the laundry list of, of complaints uh, that we know that, that were raised. I'm, I'm sure you're going to see subpoenas uh, from both the, the House Intel Committee um, and other uh, Maxine Waters. I mean, we're going to hear from sure. her coming up later on in the program. I interviewed her today. Uh, chairwoman of the House Financial Services Committee. She says subpoenas are still very much on the table uh, from the Trump political orbit, particularly as it pertains to Deutsche Bank. Yeah, and I think the the, the political equation is going to come up uh, for a lot of Republicans is whether they can hold the water on keeping this report uh, quiet and keeping it behind closed doors, because I think you're going to see a big part of the American people. We already saw some polls this week. Fifty six percent of Americans want to see the full report. They want to know what's, what, what was actually included. Um, that's, I think, where you, the, the politics ultimately hit the road. But, Adam, do you think it might be political fool's gold for Democrats to keep hammering on this, especially when, you know, there's the 2020 cycle? It almost feels I mean, look, they're two very different things. But the strategicness of it, that's not a word, Kevin, the strategy behind it is what I should say. Uh, it kind of feels like when Republicans kept hammering on the issue of Hillary Clinton's emails. I mean, is is this is it smart politics to keep going with this uh, and hammering this when you know there was no conspiracy? So, so I think there's sort of two political um, things going on here. One, there's the game on Capitol Hill where the members of Congress have to try to hold the administration accountable. But the, the candidates who are actually running for president, the candidates who are running for re-election, they're not talking about the Mueller report. They're talking about jobs. They're yeah. talking about health care. They're talking about you know they're talking about taxes. That's what that's what played out uh, last last fall, and Democrats rode that to a major upset. Um, I think you're going to see the same thing with whoever the Democrats nominate next year. Do you know who's talking about uh, Wells Fargo? Senator Elizabeth Warren. Did you guys see this? She's running for president in 2020, and Tim Sloan, the embattled CEO of Wells Fargo, man, he had a rough hearing on Capitol Hill before Chairwoman Maxine Waters the other week. He he stepped down. Uh, and now the new chief, whoever it is, is going to face a scandal, scandal legacy. Adam, I mean, what does this say about – I find it interesting because Wells Fargo was criticized not just by progressives on the left but also by Tea Party Republicans. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I think what this uh, says is that uh, with Democrats in power in the House, uh, there's going to be a, a much – brighter microscope on the financial institution and, and, and the banks. And they're going to pay attention. Um, they're going to have to pay attention to what is going on on Capitol Hill and spe- specifically within the House Democratic Caucus. I, I'm, I remember back in 2009 when Ken Lewis, the former CEO of Bank of America, also had a, a rough go of it on Capitol Hill. He also uh, was forced to step aside. This will create an opportunity to reset the relationship with Wells Fargo and, and Maxine Waters, with whoever the, the new CEO is. I think there's some rumors it might be the, the general counsel, might be the interim CEO. Um, and so we'll see how this plays, this plays out. Um, they, they clearly have a, a path to, to, to chart from here, and how they chart that path is going to be important. I think they were named, like, the number one most charitable bank, though, in America. I mean, there's so much that they're doing. I mean, look, they have a lot of, of issues uh, that they've got to sort through, but they've got to tell their story. And the bank is launching, quote, I, I'm, I'm going to read from our Bloomberg Terminal 
report by my colleague Hannah Levitt. She says that the bank is uh, launching an external search for its next CEO and president. Uh, and Sloan spent more than 31 years, 31 years, three decades working for Wells Fargo. He rose to CEO after this. This is what really stuns me, Adam. And you working with businesses and, and he was placed as CEO after the 2016 scandal and yet still just managed to, to not be able to, uh, to survive this or to get through this. I do want to read Senator Elizabeth Warren's tweet today because she is running for president. She was one of the most prominent members, Sarah McGregor, uh, hitting this bank. She says, quote, about damn time, Tim Sloan should have been fired a long time ago. He enabled Wells Fargo's massive fake account scam, got rich off it, and then helped cover it up. Now let's make sure all the people hurt by Wells Fargo scams Get the relief there, owed, end quote. Speaking of Senator Warren, did you see this? She had lunch with AOC today. This was all over Twitter. So Senator Warren, who will not describe herself as a Democratic Socialist, has lunch with the, you know, one of the most influential Democratic Socialists who, I mean, I guess candidly she got her start working for Kennedy and Warren has Kennedy's seat. But what do you make of this sort of uh, relationship, this budding political relationship, Sarah, between AOC and Senator Elizabeth Warren? It seems to be a different world for the Democrats right now. And I think the old guard is now needs to meet with the new guard and maybe take a little bit from each other's playbooks. Um, you know, there seems to be a pretty open race right now for the Democratic nomination from where from what I can see. And um, you do have to wonder what alliances are going to form and how each candidate is going to position themselves. You know, if you're if you're seen perhaps as a progressive, but of a certain age or experience, you might want to try and align yourself with some of these um, these people who are now the new face of the Democratic Party and have some new ideas like the Green New Deal or, you know, are supporting ideas like uh, modern monetary theory. There's a, a lot of ideas out there. I love that. Modern monetary theory. <laughs> I could talk modern monetary theory all day. What's interesting with Warren, though, is that she's putting out these ideas, but she's, she's putting out policy ideas. You might disagree with them, but there's actually specifics. It's kind of refreshing to, like, be able to talk policy. She's headed to Iowa in just a couple of days uh, to continue her presidential campaign. Sarah McGregor, I know you got to get out of here. Bloomberg News economic policy team leader. Thanks for stopping by. Adam Hodge stays. He's the vice president at SKD Knickerbocker and former DNC communications director, as well as a former Treasury Department official in the Obama White House. Coming up, we're talking pot policy ahead of a new hearing next week on the House Financial Services Committee. Joe Lusardi, he's the CEO of Cureleaf. He will join us. And more from House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters. You don't want to miss that. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also check us out on Radio.com and iHeartRadio. It's a beautiful day. It's opening day. And there's NCAA basketball on tonight. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. It's opening day, and it could not be a nicer day than today. If you're driving home from work, beautiful day. I hope you get to watch some baseball and some March 
madness tonight. I kind of tuned out after Villanova lost. Joining us today to help us sort through the U.S.-China trade talks as well as everything going on with the Mueller investigation, 2020 chatter. And did you see this? Wells Fargo's CEO, Tim Sloan, stepping down effective immediately. He succumbed to mounting pressure over numerous, numerous scandals. Alan, or C. Allen Parker, the bank's general counsel, uh, he's going to replace him on an interim basis for right now. That uh, All those headlines are, are crossing fast and furious over the Bloomberg terminal. Uh, we were talking earlier about the Department of Justice and everything that's been going on with Attorney General William Barr and how he's really overseeing all of the, uh, well, Mueller investigation, but he actually does some other stuff in his purview. Uh, and that's why I'm actually really excited to welcome Joe Lasardi, the CEO of Curaleaf, to the program because Curaleaf is the most accessible cannabis brand in the United States. And in fact, uh, in 2018, Curaleaf completed the largest ever U.S. cannabis RTO. And last week, the company reported earnings and reiterated its full year in 2019, managed revenue guidance of $400 million. So the pop business is for real. But serious question, Joe, from a regulatory standpoint, now it's the, the state and federal regulators, they've really got to catch up to what's happening in the marketplace, no? Yeah, I think that's right. There's a huge conflict between federal and state law that needs to be resolved. Um, as you said, the attorney general is looking at this issue in his confirmation hearings. He said that the position is untenable and Congress needs to act because it's out of step with the American public. So we don't know what he'll do, but we know that he wants Congress to do something about this. So it's kind of insane that you have large financial institutions that are unable to really provide the, the financial support because pot or marijuana or cannabis, call it what you want, is still deemed on the on the drug registry. I mean, it's still deemed what's the technical technical yeah schedule one it's a controlled substance act so you actually have like bank officials that are stuffing briefcases with cash because in order to to avoid you know any type of uh, regulatory hurdle so what would you like to see happen uh in terms of or what what type of of regulation do you think this should be a standardized one should it be left to the states a patchwork of state regulations or what is the industry's preferred regulatory regime uh, for the cannabis industry? Well, I mean, we're very encouraged by what's happening on the, the SAFE Act for banking, and that's that came out of committee, and it's going to hopefully go to the floor here in the next couple of weeks. So that is very promising, and that will give us access to federal charter banks and loans and other things that every other normal company has. Um, we also support the States Act, so the Gardner-Warren bill that we hope will be introduced in the Senate, which will, it's a federalist approach. It basically lets the states make their own policy. I mean, there are 33 states now with medical marijuana laws, 10 with adult use laws. Um, this People have spoken time and time again in these states. And so um, I think the federal government's out of step with the states. I was struck by House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters. She's a Democrat from California. We're going to hear from her coming up later on in the program. I interviewed her for Bloomberg Television earlier today. But, but this was an issue that didn't get a lot of attention in the last Congress. Uh, and, and she sort of signaled behind the scenes as something that she would be willing to work on with Republicans. And it might be one of those rare, keyword rare, areas of bipartisan support. No? I think that's right. I don't think anybody thinks it's a good idea to bank this industry in cash. 
Um, that's not rational public policy, and so it's bipartisan, and I hope that we'll get a fix on it this session. Where do you think this industry is headed more broadly? Because there, there seems to be a lot of confusion in the industry from a consumer standpoint about all of the different products that are out there. There's a lot of uh, generational divides. There's a lot of educational concerns, a lot of uh, need for perhaps more science in terms of impact. Where, where, do you, where is this headed let me, let me start there. Do you think more research needs to be done in terms of consumer education? How about any research? Right now it's federally illegal to research cannabis but for the University of Mississippi. I want to underscore that. Why is just Mississippi allowed to research cannabis and no other institution is? Antiquated federal policies. And we're, we were on the Hill yesterday pushing for research because what we know is anecdotally this plant is helping millions of Americans deal with often serious medical conditions. And so we need U.S. quality research, but we're not allowed right now. Wait, so I just want to, uh, this, this to me like blows my mind. There's only one university in America where you can research Marijuana. To be clear, there's only one university in the country that can actually grow cannabis for research. There are very limited studies happening in the United States, but it's not nearly enough given how much we know the plant can help people. Do you so, think there's an appetite to change that like rather quickly? Oh, I think so. And I think that another issue is around the veterans. So there are 23 million veterans in this country who cannot get access to cannabis. And we know for a fact that veterans use this for PTSD, chronic pain, and a host of other ailments that they've suffered given their lives and limbs to our country. Why can't they? What's the law that has to change? Antiquated federal law. The VA is not allowed to even talk about cannabis with our veterans. It's just insane. So they can't even get a medicinal marijuana card if you're, if you're a veteran to treat PTSD? They cannot. The VA is not even allowed to speak to veterans about cannabis. Wow. I mean, you, you look at some of these things and you look at, at some of these policies and, and it really it, it, it almost seems that because there's a lack of dialogue and a lack of conversation and of, of, of smart policy driven conversation and not conversation around, you know, with humor or, or, or even joking. I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar industry. CVS, I believe, just has announced that they're going to be having some hemp products, uh, not smoking products but but hemp products that are that are going to be utilized i mean this is really uh, booming in terms of of where this is going uh, you guys actually just had recent acquisitions curaleaf had re recent acquisitions in nevada and california to deliver on a strategy to aggressively expand in the western part of the country because california now it's legal right that's right yeah. so i mean that's like so goes california so goes the rest of uh, most of the time and behind the times but uh, so goes most of the country. No? Yeah, and we have a huge presence on the East Coast as well. We operate in New York, New Jersey, Florida, Massachusetts. So, I mean, just to emphasize, there are 33 states with medical programs right now. I mean, that's the, the majority of the country, and we need the federal policies to represent what the American people want, which is cannabis. All right, I want to bring in Adam Hodge. He is vice president at SKD Knickerbocker, former DNC communications director. You worked at the Treasury Department in the Obama administration, so you know the DOJ policies, and, and quite honestly – the DOJ under the Obama White House and the DOJ under the uh, Trump White House, I agree on, on this. They keep labeling marijuana as a drug uh, and, and providing a, lar a lot of, uh, some would say, confusion in the, in the marketplace. Why is that? I, I think you have a, a tough time dealing with both the – the, the, the politics of, of marijuana and some, some of the outdated or some of the older members on the Hill who just are opposed to, to change wholeheartedly. Look, this is something in the Obama administration that we struggled with uh, candidly at, at the U.S. Treasury Department. We tried to put out regulations 
we try to provide clarity for some of the financial institutions. And it, it was hard to – the policy process was hard to, to reach uh, some, some concrete, solu- concrete solutions, apologies, uh, that would actually move the ball forward. I think you're seeing more s- signs uh, that there's appetite for a, a bipartisan compromise on the Hill. I think there are some steps that the new administration could do around suspicious activity reports that would make it a lot easier for banks uh, and uh, financial institutions to play in the, in the cannabis industry. And that would you know, open up. It is a multi-billion dollar business, as you said. It seems reasonable that the powers that be should try to find a way to make a, this business uh, function more efficiently. And where are you guys uh – we're, you guys are publicly traded, Joe. We, in yep. we trade on the Canadian stock in exchange Canada. and over, over the counter. But here's another point. No, no, so. wait. There, because because it's, it's Canada. That's because right. Canada's regulations, That's I'm right. assuming, are, That's are right. different. American companies cannot list on the New York Stock Exchange, but Canadian companies can. So let that sink in for a second. It and makes no sense. And when we're talking USMCA and, and NAFTA 2.0 trade policy, all of this uh, comes into effect. Joe Lusardi, everybody. He's the CEO of Cureleaf. He was in Washington, D.C., all day meeting with lawmakers on both sides of the aisle in order to discuss all of these policies. We appreciate Joe stopping into the Bloomberg Washington, D.C. radio bureau of radio studios. Uh, appreciate his time. Coming up, House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us, as well as my colleagues, on Radio.com and iHeartRadio. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Happy spring, folks. It's opening day, NCAA basketball on tonight. Beautiful day. Finally, the warm weather in Washington comes back. We're talking all things politics and policy. I was over at the Export-Import Bank's annual conference today. Peter Navarro was there, the president's uh, economic advisor. Larry Kudlow was there. House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters was there. They actually all agree on the issue of getting the Export-Import Bank up and functioning. It's one of those, well, its critics call it Lovingly, maybe not lovingly, the Bank of Boeing, but it's one of those uh, credit export financing uh, arms that the U.S. has at its disposal to help bolster some financing in a range of different emerging markets and whatnot. It's interesting because of the U.S.-China trade talks that are developing as we speak. They're occurring as we speak uh, in between the U.S. and China. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin's over there in Beijing. U.S. Trade Representative Lighthizer is in Beijing. And and in a couple of days when they come back in early April, Vice Premier Liu He of China is going to be in Washington, D.C. to continue to negotiate these. I I caught up with Larry Kudlow backstage uh, uh, at this conference, and I asked him, you know, what should we be looking for in terms of a timeline of a trade deal between the U.S. And China, and he said, Kevin, it's, it's, it's not time dependent. It's policy and enforcement dependent. But what I found really interesting about what Larry had to say is that on the enforcement side, the president has said that tariffs, those tariffs on Chinese imports uh, and might be an enforcement mechanism, those billions of dollars worth of tariffs. Uh, he said that those tariffs might stay in place. President Trump did. But Larry Kudlow said, well, some of those tariffs might come off. So there's, it's going to be fascinating to watch whether or not there are tariff, it's tariff exemptions 
when, whenever the U.S. and China get to some type of trade deal. The other big story today, of course, is Wells Fargo. The CEO, Tim Sloan, has stepped down effective immediately. He succumbed to mounting pressure over their scandals. Uh, he's going to be replaced on an interim basis by the bank's general counsel, C. Allen Parker. They're launching an external search for their next CEO. But my, oh, my, Tim Sloan at Wells Fargo, he's out. Senator Elizabeth Warren, one of the bank's biggest critics, she tweeted out, quote, it's about damn time, end quote. And we're still talking Mueller. Democrats want that Mueller report released. The American people, according to polls, want that Mueller report released, Republicans and Democrats alike. But the subpoena power doesn't just stop in the courts. Democrats have that as well. So at the XM conference, House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters was there. I interviewed her for Bloomberg TV. You can see that. We're going to play it, air it throughout the day, I believe, tomorrow. But I want to play a portion of it for you now about how she's using the power of the gavel and her oversight of the Trump financial disclosures. Here's the House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters. Well, as you know, the six committees or so that have some oversight responsibility in areas that deal with this investigation, we have our work to do. We have our ordinary work to do. In my financial services committee, I have the Treasury. And so I'm concerned about sanctions. I'm concerned about money laundering. And so I'll continue on those issues. And, of course, it will involve itself with some of what has gone on uh, with Trump and the family and the investigations. And so we are seeking documents for example, from Deutsche Bank, uh, and we will determine uh, what we're going to do in terms of issuing subpoenas, et cetera, uh, but we're going to continue with the work that needs to be done. So subpoenas still on the table? Well, always. Uh, you have to know when you get to the right. point when you can do that, and you have to have the information that you've requested by way of the documents, and when you do your work, you will know whether or not it's time or you should issue a subpoena. That was House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters, Democrat from California. Check out my full interview with her uh, on BloombergTV.com. Adam Hodge, he's a former Treasury Department official at the during the Obama administration. He was listening to that. He's at SKD Knickerbocker. He just got a promotion. Congrats on the promotion, a senior you, vice president. Uh, yeah, it's um, and now I actually have to uh, to approve it. But I think uh, the one th- big takeaway I think from Maxine Waters, she's been talking about this issue from well into last year when she was talking about getting the, the gavel. Um, the Financial Services Committee has a, a lot of uh, sharp members who have experience in the industry, uh, who can actually ask tough questions. And I think that the the you know President Trump was able, let's not forget, was able to uh, run for pr- for president, and he did not release his tax returns. Uh, there's a lot of questions that were raised during the campaign about why that was. And what these t- ties were. Two years on, we still don't have answers uh, to that question. And I think uh, it, Democrats certainly feel that that um, as the party in charge, they're entitled to that, to that information. I think th- this is going to be uh, something that they are, uh, members on the Hill are going to be focused on all year long, and we'll see where it goes. All right, Adam Hodge, thanks for coming on. Thank you also to Always our pleasure. guests, uh, Joe Lusardi, CEO of Cura Leaf, as well as Sarah McGregor, Bloomberg News Eco team leader. That's it for me. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Happy opening day. You're listening to Bloomberg 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.